So um, bringing people close to your heart is talking about a level of intimacy. And are we, are we all okay there? So I think a few of us can deny that when we bring someone into our home that there isn't like barriers going down. There isn't walls going down. You can't have someone in your home. I mean, I even have like, you know, when the electrician's there, you end up like feeling close to the electrician, you know. And you've got someone working on your garage door. You suddenly feel, I feel really close to them now, you know. They're in your home. And I think there's a natural dynamic that happens. Uh, we turned up at my, um, at my father-in-law's, Donna's dad's house, and she's got the guy that's putting in the, some garage door automation. And they, they're already like an, like an intimate level of conversation. You know? He's like sharing about like the work that he's doing uh, with kids. And, and I've, like, my, I've never seen my father-in-law look, look so vulnerable. You know, he's like opening up his heart. And I'm like, wow. These, are like, these guys were two straight. They, they were complete strangers 24 hours ago. They just spoke on the phone. Now they're connecting at heart level because they're inside my father-in-law's home. And, and, and he, he's, he's bringing... Um, He's bringing, he's drawing him near, even though he's like, you know, he's a random like electrician guy. Um, and I, I think that's what the Lord wants for every single one of us. You know, he, he doesn't want us to just be, and that was the prayer I prayed, be good receivers. He wants us to be good givers and to use our home for that. I feel like my notes are in such a weird random order here that seem to make sense when I prep, and now they just uh, don't so much. But uh, let's use the scripture as a basis for today. And this is Acts 2.46. We all know it really, really well. So it's referring to the early church, which we look to as a, a great model and an example to us. Um, this is a church that was unmarred by history, that was unmarred by even persecution. It was... Um, experiencing a huge amount of momentum. Uh, the day, days before the scripture, because it was basically Acts 2, um, 41, uh, we know that 3,000 Jews were added to Christianity. We know that the Jews were able to meet in the temple. We know that Nicodemus and Gamaliel, who were big hitters in the Jewish synagogue, were very sympathetic to the Christians, and Christian, Christianity was kind of like, like had huge amounts of momentum. And in this context, we read the scripture with reference to the believers. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts, so they were welcome there. And then the key scripture for today, or the key uh, part for today, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And we're going to look at that carefully. Uh, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So first of all, they broke bread. And there needs to be a certain level of intentionality about when we meet together. Because breaking bread is different to eating together. So we see in that first part, if you can just leave it up. Um, the first part is they broke bread. And then they ate together. There was the, when we refer to the breaking bread, we're referring to the Lord's Supper. And I don't think that it necessarily means that every single time that we meet together for meals, that we break bread. Which the Lord's Supper is, we take bread or biscuit that's symbolic of Jesus' body and so on. You guys know uh, what the symbols mean. 
Um, but I think what it does mean is that we need to be careful that there is some level of intentionality when we, when we meet together. Like if we're having a social every single whatever, and there's no mention of Jesus, you know, we've got to go, hold on now. In the early church, it clearly says that they broke bread in their homes. So breaking bread together means they were, it was all about Jesus. And it was so interesting, Natalie shared a prophetic word about her, um, her daughter preparing a seat at the table. And I don't know if it was Rachel or Leah. Uh, where's Natalie? Is Natalie here? Or is she with Josh and kids? Was it Rachel? Rachel prepared a table, like a, a setting, you know, if you've been to Natalie's house, it's done really, you know, to, exquisitely. And, and everything was placed perfectly. And, um, and Natalie said, you know, who's, who's that placing for? Because we've we got more places than we've got people for. Um, and she said, well, that's for Jesus. Because Jesus is with us. And I think in the early church, there was an expectation instantly that Jesus was there through his Holy Spirit. He was there. And, and there was a, like, how do you meet together without acknowledging Jesus? It's like, you know, it's like the elephant in the room. It's like Jesus. We, we, you say if there's two or more gathered, you hear, how can we not acknowledge? How can we not set that table? So, um, it, you know, I've got the... The, the privilege of going back to Andrew, you know, my friendship with Andrew goes back to when Andrew was just saved. I'm talking about days old. Before he, a church had even get, got hold of him. And I tell you what, it was remarkable how many times that we would get together and Andrew would instantly say, let's break bread. There was such a sense from Andrew's heart that how can we not address this person of Jesus here right now? Let's acknowledge him. Let's Let's, um, let's just give our hearts to him. And, and practically, what does that mean? Does it mean that every single time you meet together, you need to break bread? No. Does it mean that every single time that you break bread, you need to be like consciously telling the guys, hey guys, we can just invite Jesus? No. But in your mind, there needs to be a sense that God is here. God is here. And does he want to do anything tonight? Maybe Jesus just says, I just want you to bra. That's it. Maybe Jesus says, someone pick up a guitar. Maybe Jesus says, just have an ice cream. But there's a, there's a recognition of Jesus is in the room, and Jesus may want to do some stuff. And, you know, are we open to that happening? And it was really grassroots level. I remember Andrew was going like, it wasn't even planned. It was like, like um, I think he was dating someone else at that time. And, uh, and so, so, said to her, um, yeah, what's in the house? You know, and we'd scrunch up anything, you know. It's like, it doesn't have to be like perfect grape juice. And like, you know, you just grab whatever. Like, Jesus loves that. He loves that feeling of like, you know, we're just grabbing whatever in the house, you know. And worst case scenario, water. I mean, water doesn't work that well, you know. But worse, you know. But anything that's got a little bit of taste to it. Um, yeah. Is that cool? So that's the first thing there. And um, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25, maybe if we can just do that first part, the 25, right at the end there. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Uh, my NRV says, do this whenever. Okay. My, instead of when, whenever, my NRV, it's interesting how NRV is suddenly slightly different, says as often. So whenever, as often. Okay, so let's think about that for a moment. So it says, whenever, 
or in my NIV, as often, there's a sense that there's regularly happening. There's, there's a, we can't just get past that word. We need to understand that, that Jesus being recognized and invited in and even possibly breaking bread together needs to happen uh, regularly. Um, I even thought about it in church. I thought probably next week maybe we should break t- bread together here and honor the Lord because we encourage you to do it regularly. But also in your homes, do it regularly. Do it like at random times. You might be just connecting uh, in a restaurant and you might go like, oh, I've got a Coke Light here and you've got a Coke Zero and why don't we just break bread right now? What have you got on your plate? Oh, you've got like this... Um, uh, Rasol, you know, that's all this. Okay, break a little piece of Rasol. What have you got? I've got a little chip here. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, Jesus, it's just it's so cool, you know. Let's just come before Jesus. I mean, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. You know, you take that chip, you know, that fried chip, you know, baked by Megan Bean, you know, fried by Megan Bean, and like, thank you, Lord, for your body. This is symbolic of your body given for me. Coke light. Thank you for this Coke light. Symbolic of your blood. Because Jesus just took everyday elements, you know, and they, wine was common and bread was common. Break bread together. I think that's important. And do it at random times. Don't just get too religious or clinical about it. Okay, let's move on to the second part, which is, um, okay, I'm still getting my notes. Let me camp here. Just, yeah, that's enough. Let's move, move on. Okay. They ate together. Eating together is an intimate thing. And we know that it's an intimate thing because Jesus was criticized that he ate with sinners, Matthew 9, 10 to 11. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So there he is in someone's home, eating with them, whatever was on the menu. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So when Jesus is in the street... I don't see big complaints about him rubbing shoulders with sinners and tax collectors. You know, he's, I mean, there's people who are all around Jesus all the time during his ministry years. Doesn't seem to be too big complaints, but the moment he eats with them, they twitching. They're like wobbling. Because eating just took it to the next level. You're rubbing shoulders with them, you're chatting in public, that's one level. You're eating with them in a home there's a level of intimacy that he's having there with what they consider sinners and tax collectors. That's just too much for them. So they recognize the intimacy of eating together. Why? Because it's an intimate thing. It's a connecting time. It's a bonding time. And I really do believe in, in food. And the, the, the sad thing is food has been denied us for two years because of COVID. You know, we haven't been able to eat together. So March... I mean, restrictions are, they may be clinically on paper, but right now, um, you know, the countries of Europe are scrapping everything. We're basically on a trajectory that's very positive right now. We can finally dare to eat together. Um, and we trust that, you know, if some of you may be like, I'm sorry, my conscience can't go to sharing of the same. Maybe you can bring your own and then just eat your own. It, your intention of your heart will be appreciated. Um, for most of us, I think that we're fine to, you know, bring and share, eat with one another. Um, so food is something that we can use and has always been used in every culture to bond people together. And we see in the New Testament church, the believers 
eating together in their homes. Eating is always going to take something to the next level. Don't underestimate the power of food. Um, I once saw an elder post something, how to grow your karma. I don't really believe in it. But anyway, the, the, it was a funny point. They showed a picture of a cake, how to grow your com, you know. And this is what they were, they were eating at com that night. You know, and this is a bit of a bad joke. But, but there's, there's power in the food. There's power there, you know. And there's a scriptural basis for it. You don't have to be shy. You don't have to perform, but you don't have to be shy either. So let's use food. Do you guys see a, a scriptural backing for food? Don't over-spiritualize something and think that food can't be spiritual. Food can be spiritual. Have a look at this. Uh, Jesus, Revelation 3.20. Here I am. This is Jesus himself. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. So Jesus is like basically talking about either coming to the church, which is probably the the most um, contextual uh, understanding of that scripture, or which we often use, knocking on the, the door of the sinner's heart. And when Jesus wants to come in and fellowship with the sinner, he chooses food. He could have just said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Full stop. But he, he adds food. I want to eat with him. Why? Because for Jesus, it's intimate with food. When we get to heaven, what arrives when we arrive in heaven? A great feast. There's food in heaven. I'm not sure how it works with meat because there's no death in heaven. Okay, so what died to be on the table? Maybe it's vegetarian, but whatever it is, it's amazing. Okay, it's amazing. So, um, but main point there. Food is a spiritual thing that we're not only going to experience here on earth, we're going to experience in heaven too. Okay? So use food. Everyone say use food. Okay. And you've seen the scriptural backing there. Jesus approves. Okay. Let me just do Matthew nine twelve to 13 before we move on because it's going to tie to something later. So when the Pharisees complained about Jesus walking, uh, eating with sinners, he said, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we'll tie on that later, and I'm just dropping it now, because sometimes it's a bridge to the unsaved as well. It's not just an act of intimacy, but it's an act of outreach. Sometimes when you offer to eat with someone, you're actually reaching out to them and the walls just go down. And Jesus himself did that. So use food for evangelism. We can see Jesus using it in that context as well. We can come back to Acts 2.46. So um, we've done uh, breaking bread. We've done eight together. Let's do glad and sincere hearts. Okay, so let's have a look first at glad. So glad doesn't quite capture that, uh, the Greek, okay? The NLT says great joy, which is even better than glad. And the, uh, the, the Greek word is agaliasis, which means, 
okay, which just hits both of them, like, really shows us. And honestly, look at all other uh, definitions of agaliasis. It means exuberant or ecstatic joy. Okay, so let's try it again. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with exuberant and ecstatic joy. If it's dull, have some fun. Because you're not going to create exuberant and ecstatic joy if that's what the Greek said, the way that he wrote Acts. Was it Luke? When Luke chose that Greek word, he went to describe how they were connecting together. They were connecting together with exuberant or ecstatic joy. And that joy was not coming from wine, because the scriptures say, do not fill, be filled with, do not be, get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Was being filled with the Holy Spirit, there was a joy in coming together. Be careful of that, because that's how unbelievers create exuberance and ecstatic joy. Is the first thing you do when you come to a secular connection time is, without exception, I've never been to one where there's not alcohol. But we need to be careful is that we're not looking to alcohol to create that exuberant or ecstatic joy. We need to have a joy in the Holy Spirit. Especially for those of us amongst our brothers and sisters that struggle with alcohol. They've either been alcoholics in the past or it's been an idol in their hearts. So please, when we are eating and drinking together, it's non-alcoholic. For the sake, at the very least, of the brother of the weak conscience. Um, your conscience may allow it, so you may have your own, you know, if you've got a, you know, you, you've, you're with your best friends or whatever, and that you're both totally fine, that's different. Obviously, you know, there's, you limit how much you have. But if it's an official meeting... In any respect, please do not have alcohol there. Um, it's going to cause problems and it's going to cause guys to stumble. And, G- and Paul said, rather than have a millstone hung around my neck than cause even one of the least of these to stumble. So we need to see the seriousness of that. So glad. So make it, if, if you're not getting that glad, just make it. You know, go that direction. You know, it's a case of enjoying one another. Is that a, it is a target for us. It's not supposed to be this massive somber time. It's supposed to be a sense of fun. Make it fun. Sometimes fun is just connecting with one another. Sometimes just talking over the dinner table after you've had a meal. And, and you know, just have some fun. Keep it light. Um, that is a challenge for us. Because remember, we're looking to the early church and saying, there's the model. They were having fun. If we're not having fun, let's have fun. Yeah? And then sincere hearts. So sincere hearts, it can't be fake. It can't be fake. It must be a sincere heart. We must have a genuine love for one another. Those in our home, must, it must be genuine. We can't be faking it. They, uh, Luke chose to write in sincere. He chose to write in glad. He didn't just say they ate together. He chose to write in the eight with glad, gladness. And he, he, he chose to write in specifically to challenge us with sincere hearts. It needs to be genuine. And for those of us that, that are, can't be genuine, pray that God would put a love for people in your heart. That when you get people and you would just love them, and then it would be genuine. Because God wants to give us 
a love for other people, that we enjoy people. And that's going to be a real challenge for us. So I think over the next month, some people are going to be stretching this. They're going to go, I just don't really like people. I just want my space. And, and, and your prayer's got to be, Lord, give me a love for people like Mother Teresa had. Because Mother Teresa never saw a human that she didn't love. Never saw a human that she didn't see the image of God in. Give me more love for people. And I'm not saying being dangerous. You know, I think when we invite people into our homes, especially because we live in one of the most dangerous cities in the, uh, countries in the world, we need to be wise. You know, you, you, if you're inviting someone from, you know, the, in your circle, you know, you're, then it's easy. But if you're inviting someone off the street, be careful that the Lord has spoken to you and maybe check with someone. I've got this person in my home. Numbers is always good. If you've got 10 guys there, what, what, what can go wrong is very little. You know, what I mean is if you invite one or two strangers there because you've got a mob there that can easily, you know, look. But then someone needs to say, keep an eye on that person. We don't know them, you know. We need to be wise in our homes. And there are some horror stories. I put it up there because most of us have been in the church long enough. Be wise, but don't be, don't just throw out the baby with the bathwater. We, this is going to stretch us, and it's good because some guys on the east side here don't know people on the west side here. So, east siders meet west siders, <laughs> and west siders meet east siders. So that's going to be good because we're so used to being in our own comms. We know the guys in our comm really well. We eat with the guys in our comm. We eat with our best friends in church, and that's fine. Jesus had best friends too. You know, he had, you know. Um, but get to know people that you normally don't meet with. So how we, I'll go to logistics later, but basically we're going to try pair you with, the comm leaders are going to try pair you with people that, okay, we'll do logistics later. Um, and let's, uh, let's just see if I'm finished there. So sincere hearts. Okay. So if you've got a prayer, put that prayer in your heart. If you're struggling to love people, Jesus, give me a love for people. That's your, if that's a prayer that you pray for the next month, and I'm going to open my home as a practical application for that, do that. All right, evangelism. And, and this also ties in with Westsiders meet Eastsiders. Luke 14, 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon... Or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, take the context. It's not always, okay? It's just he's trying to make a point here. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So what is Jesus saying? Is he's saying that we need to look for blind people. We need to look for uh, crippled people. Uh, we need to look for lame people. Is, is that the only people that he's restricted to? Because that massively restricts us because sometimes it's hard to find those people. I mean, you can maybe find them at the traffic light, like one. So we're like all fighting over one. You know, we found someone, everyone's phoning, you know, this traffic light, you can find this person, and then, you know, trying to get them in your home, we're all coordinating, we've got a WhatsApp group, you know, find the crippled person, you know, is that what Jesus is saying, you know? Um, uh, uh, yes, but more, 
I know where it is easy to find spiritually crippled, lame, or blind people because they are everywhere. And we see Jesus allude to this in Revelation 3.17. He's talking to the, and you've got to see this because we are by and large a middle class um, group of people. And Laodicea, the Laodicean church, was a middle class, wealthy, and comfortable church. And Jesus got in their face and said, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. There are many people in the spirit that are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, but they think they're rich. They think they're doing well. And they're all over this. This, this is how he has a middle class suburb here, Sunningdale. All of them think they're doing well. Many of them think they're doing well, but they don't realize that they are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked spiritually. And when Jesus says, bring them in, that's easy because we can find them everywhere. We don't have to try to find one person. There's millions of them. And the Lord is asking us to bring them in. I've got a this is, I'm going to land on this now. And this is Luke 14, 16 to 23. Maybe just before I go there, let me talk about something that Fred is doing. So Fred has got, and don't get jealous, and he, he's, he may be bummed that I'm actually sharing this now because he may get a, a huge amount of applications and why aren't I invited. But um, he's doing a Poikikos competition. And there's going to be six teams, maybe more after I've announced this. And um, so in within each Poikikos team, he's putting two saints, but the third person must be unsaved. Brilliant. In the, not in the Poiki. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we're not cannibals. <laughs> You took it too far. <laughs> okay, moving on swiftly. So, Fred, took my hat off. Well done. See, that's brilliant thinking. He's doing everything that we spoke about today. He's using food. Um, he's using sincere hearts. He's using glad hearts. They're having fun. It's a poiki competition. It's fun. Um, I mean, it's, it's going to be incredible. Yeah? But he's got the saved involved as well. And he has this, the passage to really, really challenge us, and it's Luke 14. It's a big passage. Don't get a fright. Luke 14, 16 to 23. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the common leaders know what it's like at, like, um, Five past six when they start getting those excuses. Guys, you just do not know how hard it is to be a comedy leader until you've been a comedy leader. Try to be faithful unless you've got a very good reason. Unless you're dead. No, I'm just joking. Um, the first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married. I can't come. All seem like fairly you know, important reasons. The servant came back and reported this to his master and like many com leaders. Then the owner of the house became angry <laughs> and ordered a servant. 
Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. We know that he's not talking about the one person at the traffic light. He's saying the spiritual out there, bring them in. We know that it was the context here because he was saying that the Jews didn't want to come, so he'll invite the Gentiles, which is all of us that aren't you, Jewish. 22, sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. God's will is that his house be full. He's, he, he's kind of a little bit ticked. He kind of said, I want my house to be full. The vision is my house be full. And we need to let that word challenge us that he wants us to do it and it's very difficult for some guys to come through that door there or those, or those side doors you know you invite them to church you know you invited them five times I know Donna's got someone and she's done so many times the person hasn't folded but sometimes the way ahead is actually invite them to your home first because a lot of people may turn down a church invite but they won't turn down a free supper invite and your home is way less confrontational than coming in with all these holy guys. Especially if you know them, you know, you've got that bridge already. Use your dining room table, your kitchen table as an evangelism tool. It's non-confrontational. And you can reach people's hearts because it opens up hearts so that you can talk to them. Listen while you're talking. Most people are struggling on the earth. Very few people are not struggling. Very few people don't need Jesus. Ask them, are you struggling with anything right now? Try to steer it that way. As soon as they open up, I'm, can we pray for you? You know, I was surfing today, this morning, early, because the waves were really good, and um, in front of my, my, my house and flat townhouse. Um, and the Lord said this to me which I believe is a prophetic word that the Lord wants to share for us in the context of evangelism. I don't know where the scripture is. You guys can find it. But there's a scripture that says that the Lord is not far from any one of us because in him we live and have our being. It's in Acts somewhere. The Lord is saying the Lord is not far from any one of those unbelievers. Like he's close. And many of them have had experiences already with God. I remember having an experience when I was 10 years old. This is eight years before I get saved where I just felt this feeling of there's got to be more on this earth. There's got to be something that created all this. It's ridiculous that no one, something created all these dogs and cats and elephants and lions and flowers. And it's just ridiculous that this just happened. And I'm having, I'm having this moment. God's, God's preaching to me. And then I remember another time at high school um, hearing something that just changed my heart. That was with, um, um, with, um, Malawi, um, Lance Sue. Sue, Sue, yeah. Sue was teaching RE in Pantan Boys High School, which I was part of. I was 13 years old. Someone, I don't know the story, you can check with Sue, but she prayed in tongues in that RE class and she was ridiculed for it, I know. Uh, and I, but it made a huge impression on me. I thought, no, there's something happening with Christianity that's more than just a religion. This is a deep spiritual thing. Suddenly the Lord impacted me. So I've got two experiences. So when you meet with these guys across the table, this is not their first encounter with God. This might be their 50th encounter with God. You may sow 
or you may reap. Just because you didn't lead them to Jesus in your lifetime might mean that you sow, but someone else reaps. If, you, if you're sowing, it's no less than if you're reaping. The person who leads someone to Jesus is a great victory, but the person who sows is equally as important. You don't have to nail it that night. You don't have to Bible bash them. Be sensitive. Maybe the Lord just wants you to drop a crumb. But maybe, be bold. Maybe he wants you to reap. Maybe it's a reaping moment. And you can lead them across because the Lord leads that way. Evangelism is a continuum, yeah? It's not just a single event. You may fill any part on that. Okay. Are we all good? Are we all good with heart? So we're good with heart with connecting one with another. We're good with evangelism. Okay. So are you ready for the details, com leaders? Okay. So what we've done, I just want to pause for a moment. Are we all good? Okay. Okay. Hey? Are you hungry? I know. He's like, see, he's got food. And Clarence has been ministering at Krabai. He saw a few guys. One guy get saved or? One guy gets saved, Holy Spirit filled everything while Clarence was ministering. So well done, Clarence, yeah? Okay. So Clarence needs to go. Uh, and he raced here as well, so keen to get home. But um, I'm just wondering if before I do details, maybe I'll just pray for us. Why don't you just stand? Let me pray before I do details just to make sure. All right, let's just close our eyes. Lord Jesus, I just pray for us as people. Lord, your word says that you want your house to be full and that we need to go out there and bring in the spiritually lame, crippled, and blind. And you demanding it, and you want to use us, and you mention a banquet table, Lord. We see how food and our tables is such an easy, non-threatening environment for us to connect not only with those that we don't know well in church, but also with those that don't even know you at all. So Lord, I just pray for us, God. Stretch us. I, I, deep inside, I know that every single one of us is hungry for this. But some of us don't feel equipped. We may not feel we've got the home for it. We may not feel we've got the budget for it. But Lord, we remember the boy that had five loaves and three fishes and what you did with that, Lord. All those thousands that you fed. So we bring before you our five loaves and three fishes. And we say, Jesus, use it. The Lord's encouragement to us, all of us here, that we would be willing. And we would say, okay, I'm in. Amen? Amen. Are we in? Okay, we're in. Grab a seat.